0: Our text for this morning's sermon is Psalm 3. You'll notice at the top of this psalm a heading, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Of course, Absalom made a conspiracy against David, tried to take the throne from his father. So Psalm 3, "O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul," There is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. As far the reading of God's word. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in this world, at times, it can be hard not to be afraid. Evil seems to flourish everywhere you look. Persecution against Christians is a reality in many places on earth. And constantly, we here also, we face temptations and the doubts of our own sinful flesh. Yet in this troubled and broken world, we do well to remind ourselves of God's most frequent command in all of Scripture. And you know what God's most frequent command in the Bible is? It's do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. See, as frail human beings, we are so easily scared. It's good to remind ourselves of God's encouraging words to his people. It's good also to dwell on Psalm 3, our text this morning. See, David, he sees many enemies rising against him. They tell him there's no salvation for him and God. But what does David do? He finds his confidence in the Lord. He calls out to his God, and he also rests in the Lord as the God of his salvation. That's why I will be preaching to you God's word under the following theme of points this morning. Despite the enemies that arise against him, the Lord's anointed king can trust in God's salvation. Look at first, the enemies that arise, second, the confidence that God gives, and third, the salvation that God brings. So Psalm 3 has the following heading, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. David had fled from his enemies before. Right? Before David took the throne, Saul chased him in the wilderness for years, trying to kill him. Of course, God preserved David's life throughout that trying time. But now things were supposed to be different. David was king. And God had given him rest from his enemies on every side. And not only that, but the Lord also made a special covenant with David. You can read about that in 2 Samuel 7. God promised David that one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever. And Psalm 2, which we also read, speaks of something of the fulfillment of that promise. For all, Psalm 2 is about the coming Messiah. And that's the the son that God promised David. And God says about this promised son in Psalm 2, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, the one who was to reign forever. And then the king, the promised son of David, he responds to God's decree saying, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, "You are my son, today I have begotten you. ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession." So Psalm two, what it describes is the fulfillment of God's promise to David that he would set one of his throne, his son's on his throne forever. So all of that, God's covenant with David, and Psalm two. Make it almost sound like there would be nothing but good times coming for David and his, his throne, his kingdom. But sadly, it was not the case. David's own son, Absalom, started a conspiracy against David. Absalom was a man full of pride, and he set his desire on the throne of his father. Perhaps he thought God's promise of a son to sit on David's throne referred to himself. Maybe he thought in his own pride that he would reign forever. And so he worked to turn the hearts of God's people against David and for himself. And soon there was a fully fledged rebellion against David. It really is amazing how things went. Think about it. All of Israel had been loyal to David for so long. And now, in a a moment, it seemed there were so many in Israel who had turned against him. And it happened so quickly. When the rebellion was in full swing, David and his family, those still loyal to him, they, they had to flee Jerusalem. David heard of the rebellion, he said to his followers, Arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and and bring down ruin on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. That's how bad things were. And so in this conspiracy and, and rebellion, God's promise to David seemed to be turned completely on its head. God had promised David one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever. Yes, Absalom was one of his children. But that promise is pictured in Psalm 2. There we read that the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth in complete foolishness set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. God who sits enthroned in heaven laughs at their evil plans. He says to those who conspire against him, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And you can be sure that Absalom was not the king that God had appointed. Right? Mount Zion in the Old Testament referred to Jerusalem, where the throne was. And so in Absalom's conspiracy, this picture in Psalm 2 seems to be turned on its head. Absalom and his followers raged, and they plotted against the Lord and against his anointed, and they seemed to be winning completely. Instead of God's anointed king on the throne, we have Absalom, the non-anointed king, reigning in Jerusalem. His plotting, his conspiracy seemed to be working. And when we see those things, then we, we might wonder about the truth of God's word, right? Think about Psalm 2, God laughing at the people conspiring against him. We might wonder, it, well, is God still laughing? Is he really holding these plotters in derision? Because it doesn't seem like it to our eyes. And that's how it can look sometimes in this world. Enemies arise against the church, sometimes from within, sometimes from the outside, and they can arise in a hurry. Now, isn't that the case? Sometimes it seems like the whole world has gone after some conspiracy against the church, and you wonder, will the church even survive in this world? Because it looks like God's promises are turned on their head. And we might wonder, is God in control of this world? Because sometimes it seems like Satan and his rebellion is in full control. Of course, the frightening part is that there's something within us that wants to join this rebellion against God too. We still have a sinful nature, still trying to trip us up, trying to make us sin against the Lord. Now, well, this was a difficult trial for David to say the least. I would think that perhaps of all the trials he went through, this one may have just been the hardest. This was his own son conspiring against him. You know, God had always been with him. Think of when he fought Goliath, think of when he fought the Philistines. But now his enemies got a different sense once mighty David is fleeing like a dog from Jerusalem. And so his enemies press this taunt against him. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. We see something of this in 2 Samuel 16. As David was fleeing, a man named Shimei hurled curses down upon David continually. Right, There's no salvation for you in God. And this was perhaps the worst thing of all. It, was, it appears that it was hard not to take these words to heart. Literally, David says, they say to my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. In other words, it's as if his own heart feels the pinch of these words. After all, was it not David's own sin with Bathsheba and Uriah that, that led to this rebellion in the first place? So these words threaten to drive him to despair. At times we might feel something of this difficult taunt in our own hearts too. And This is what Satan wants more than anything. He wants us to believe that in our hearts that there's no salvation for us in God. At times we might be tempted to believe it. If they're all, look at what I've done in my life. Why would God ever save someone like me? That is where our hearts might wander at times. Brings us to our next point. So these were dark circumstances for David. We can face these circumstances in the world also. Where do we turn? Well, look where David turns. Listen to only verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You are my glory and the lifter of my head. David turns to the Lord, and he prays to him. And we also must turn to the Lord, we must seek his face, no matter what our outside circumstances might look like. John Calvin put it well when he said, David here teaches us by his own example that although the whole world, with one voice, should attempt to drive us to despair, Instead of listening to it, we ought rather to give ear to God alone and always cherish within us the hope of the salvation which he has promised. And as the ungodly use their endeavors to destroy our souls, we ought to defend them by our prayers. Beautiful words. See, David had a good reason for confidence in God. Yes, he had sinned some terrible sins. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He murdered Uriah in cold blood through the hands of his enemies. And these things could have driven him into despair, but he also knew the forgiving grace of God. The prophet Nathan came to David to confront him of his sin, and David, in response, confessed, I have sinned greatly against the Lord. And immediately, Nathan assured him. The Lord has put away your sin. So this terrible taunt of his enemies, there's no salvation for him and God. It was false. And we find our confidence in God by the same means. Simply confess your sin to God, beloved. Ask God from the heart to forgive you your sins and he assures you your sins are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. They have been forever washed away. You've been forever reconciled to God through Christ. So look to Christ in faith. Keep dwelling on him in your heart, and your mind. Never look away until you're brought to that place in Romans 8 where you say, Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? We keep our eyes fixed on Christ our Savior. There's salvation for us in God, in Him. Yes, God was disciplining David for his sins, but Scripture tells us not to lose heart. For the Lord does this to whom He loves. And so David goes forward in confidence. He calls upon God as a shield, his protector. David calls upon God as his glory. He trusted that God would maintain his kingly honor. And Christ says to us, too, the insults of those who insult you have fallen upon me. I'm the one who maintains your honor. David calls upon God as the one who lifts his head high. Instead of being covered with shame, Instead of going down to defeat, he will be exalted in victory. So David says, I cried aloud to the Lord. He answered me from his holy hill. Right. No matter how much the ungodly might rage against the church, use it as an opportunity for prayer. David, we can see, did not cry out in vain. Despite his dark circumstances, he did not cry out in vain. He says, God answered me from his holy hill." And we see that in the story of Absalom's conspiracy. One of the conspirators was named Ahithophel. He'd been one of David's top advisors. It said consulting him was like consulting the word of the Lord. And David knew this when he was fleeing Jerusalem. He was told that Ahithophel was among the conspirators. Oh no, things have gotten so much worse, you would think. So David cried out to God, "O oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And David here confesses that God heard him from his holy hill. His holy hill can refer to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. It can refer to Mount Zion above. God is seated in heaven, his ark, the earthly symbol of his rule was in Jerusalem, on that holy hill. And so David could remind himself, even though there's this rebellion going on, even though right now Absalom is king in Jerusalem, God ultimately is king. No matter what these people do, God is still king. And that's what we must remember, too. No matter how much the devil, the world, and our own flesh rage against God, the Lord will not be removed from his throne. God is still king. Christ is still king. He will always be king. And the Lord heard David's prayer, and he answered him. What did God do? He sent Hushai to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel. And he turned Ahithophel's advice into foolishness in the ears of Absalom. Isn't that amazing? Right? God's secret working out of our eyes, out of David's eyes, that's God's power. It right? even frustrated someone's good counsel by his power. God sovereignly worked that the rebellion would be crushed. And David had to trust, even though he couldn't see what was going on in Absalom's throne room with Ahithbel and Hushai, he had to trust God would work. So must we. God wasn't looking away when wicked men arose. He was actively engaged in combat. Remember that. Call to him and trust that he hears us through Christ brings us to our last point. So God overcame this rebellion and conspiracy of Absalom. <clears throat> and he's been doing similar things throughout history. He also overcame this conspiracy described in Psalm 2. Right Psalm 2 about the Messiah about a conspiracy against the Messiah, against the Lord's anointed. We can see this in the life of Jesus Christ. The people's were plotting Against the Lord Jesus. Kings and rulers took counsel together against the Anointed One, the Christ. Right? The Jewish rulers, together with men like Herod and Pilate, conspired against Jesus. And finally, they had him crucified on the cross. <clears throat> now, I want us to see something really astonishing here. Well, think to yourself. How did Absalom's conspiracy and rebellion end. If you read 2 Samuel, see that Absalom's conspiracy ended when Absalom was riding his, his mule or donkey through a wooded area, and he got his hair caught in a tree. So Absalom himself, hanging from a tree, was pierced through by javelins. And his conspiracy was over. Now, the devil assuredly had a hand in Absalom's conspiracy against David. And when Absalom's conspiracy was all over, the devil probably thought to himself, if only I could take David's promised son, the Christ, and hang him from a tree and pierce him through, then finally my rebellion would work. It would be complete and I would be king forever. Now let me tell you, the devil would get his chance. Remember, the devil was involved in the conspiracy against the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan himself entered Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus to the Jewish rulers. By this, he was ensuring the crucifixion of Christ. He wanted to hang the Christ on a tree and pierce him through. And he thought to himself, this time I'm going to win. When Jesus was crucified, the Jewish rulers laughed at him. They mocked him, saying, He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him, for he said, I am the Son of God. That's essentially what the people said to David. There's no salvation for him in God. That's what they were mocking Jesus Christ on the cross with. It's as if they were all saying, Ha ha, we got him. But little did they know. And little did the devil know that by crucifying Jesus, they were, in fact, making Christ king forever. They brought about their own downfall through their own conspiracy. They ensured the death of their own rebellion by putting Jesus to death. The devil essentially crushed his own head at the cross of Christ. Colossians 2 verse 15 says, God disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That is, in Christ, that's in the cross, God triumphed over those who would rebel against him. God won the battle at the cross, the death of Christ ensures the end to every rebellion and conspiracy against God. Christ's death and resurrection also ensures our victory over the devil and all our enemies. Colossians 3 describes the effect of Christ's saving work on us in this way. You have been raised with Christ and seated with him at God's right hand. For you have died, that is, died with Christ on the cross, and your life is hidden with Christ in God, the most secure place in the world. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. <clears throat> and that's the security and the comfort we need in this dark world. The devil has forever been thrown down. Christ is now forever on the throne. Our life is hidden with Christ and God. And God certainly hears our prayers from his holy hill in heaven because Christ is there. Christ will never take his eyes off the church. He will work all the evil in this world for our good. Your life is hidden with Christ and God, so you can be at rest. You can go to sleep at night in that knowledge. David says here, I lay down and slept, I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. That's the security we have in Jesus Christ, no matter what. Our lives are in his hand. David ends this psalm with a call to God. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Literally, he says smash their teeth into pieces. Now, part of us might not like that sort of language. It's the language of cursing. Remember, it's first of all a call for God to do what He promised in Genesis 3, to crush the head of the serpent. To make that, that roaring lion, the devil, make him toothless. In the second place, it's a call to judge those who refuse to turn from their allegiance to the devil. Those who hate God and his people and seek to destroy them. See, if people refuse to turn, then the only solution for the peace of God's people is God's judgment. It's the only way. and God will fulfill this prayer in Psalm 3, ultimately in the return of Christ. We call out to our ascended King Jesus. Arise, O Lord. Save your church. Come down from the clouds of heaven. Save your people. One day Christ will do it. He will return. He will cast our enemies into everlasting condemnation. And he will give his people peace forevermore. This psalm ends with a statement of faith. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Those people who taunted David, there's no salvation for him and God. They were wrong. They were dead wrong. God will preserve his church in this world. The gates of hell will never be able to overcome it. And so God's blessing will always be on his people. Amen.